if you are new or this is the first time, my name is Drew Simpson. This is Skip Bauer Socks. We're pastors here. Uh, we want you to feel welcome. This is your first time or if you don't come often. Uh, we're so happy you're here. We'd love to know that you're here. It's just great for us to be able to say, hey, thanks for coming. We'd love to meet you. Um, if you do want to get in contact with us or if you would just let us know you're here visiting, we would love that. Uh, the best way to do that is after the service when it's all done, you can go over to the info table over here and there's a welcome card and you fill that in and turn it in. Uh, if you do that, you also get a free gift, which is um, uh, some uh, bags that are made from a ministry in India that's really awesome. You hear about that uh, if you do that. So um, anyways, I'm always really excited to be here, mm-hmm. really excited to hear uh, from the word and yeah. always celebrate together, sing some do's, yep. <laughs> uh, celebrate the life of Jesus. I'm particularly excited. I always love Christmas right. for a lot of reasons, but on Sunday morning, um, I, I love always that uh, we take a break from what would normally be a normal mm-hmm. series to focus in on the birth of Jesus and talking about how uh, wonderful and miraculous it was. And uh, every Christmas, I feel like I have more takeaways, more right. things that right. I'm learning about the life of Jesus. Because we look at so much of it, and his birth is one area that mm-hmm. when we're looking at life of Jesus, we're maybe not focusing in on as much as we do during Christmas time, of right. course, which I just love. So Doesn't I'm it really, feel good to read those, yeah. those classic yeah stories yeah. uh, and, and just to, that familiar language yeah. and, and then but also to receive fresh insight right yeah. well it's interesting too because you have in Christmas time you have all these things that are nostalgic from mm-hmm. your childhood and from a lot of years previous as well but uh in, in looking at uh, the birth of Jesus, there's all these things in scripture, deep spiritual truths that right. have impacted our life that we go back to again and again right. and continue to uh, build deeper foundations in Christ. So right. it's a great it's time. It's beautiful. So, anyways, so we're doing wise men today, I believe. Is that wise right? Wise men. Yeah. In the star. Cool. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. I'll get out of your way. Why don't I pray for you? Yeah. And then you can hop in. So. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Jesus, I thank you for Skip and I thank you uh, for what he's prepared for. Uh, for us this morning. I ask that you'd help him uh, communicate really clearly uh, what you've put on his heart. I ask that the word would be um, uh, uh, powerful and moving uh, in us. I ask that you'd speak to us uh, with clarity through your word. I ask that we'd be challenged uh, and we'd also uh, uh, be able to apply the things that um, Skip is going to bring this morning. Would you tune our ears to hear your voice and would you tune uh, Skip to be sensitive to the things you're doing this morning, in this moment, and you'd help him to communicate the things he's planned out with uh, clarity and with power. Thank you, Jesus, for this morning and for your life and your birth. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Drew. Well, it does. I, I really do uh, enjoy the, the feel of those very classic tales in my mouth, right, as I read this this text that we're very familiar with. And I'd like to this morning begin by reading this story out of uh, Matthew chapter 2 of the wise men following the star. Um, If you can, you know, as we read through it, you just imagine you're listening to Linus's voice. uh, It'll just be me, but uh, just kind of go there with me and enjoy again this classic Christmas uh, scripture, this passage here, uh, Matthew chapter 2. Starting at verse 1, you can certainly look it up in your own Bible, but it'll be on the screen as well. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. 
And he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired, inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures... Uh, they offered him gifts, gold, and frank uh, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I've, you know, the more time I spend reading and thinking about these wise men, the more I am impressed with them. Just a really remarkable group of people. No wonder they called them uh, the wise men, these, these magi, these, these men from, from Babylon, um, uh, but when we read them in this story, we find that they are uh, at, the, uh, at, the, at the end of their wisdom. They have followed a trail. They have followed a prophecy as far as they know to. And when we meet them here in Matthew chapter 2, we find them confused. They said, I thought there was supposed to be a king, and here I am in the palace, and it's just Herod. What, a, what about the king, uh, the real king? We find them lost. Not that, not that they didn't know where they were, but lost in, in the sense that they, they didn't know, they didn't have the next direction. You ever felt that way before? Like, I guess I, I, I've known that I'm supposed to do this to this point, but I don't know what comes next. I'm lost for direction. Uh, we also find these wise men, it's just kind of an interesting contrast, these, these pursuers of the baby Jesus uh, with a motivation to worship him in the council and presence of Herod, this wicked king, this evil man. And I don't mean evil like he wasn't a nice guy. I mean evil like he was evil. And this is where these wise men are. It's interesting to me that in this story, this Christmas story, that Jesus really plays a relatively small role, Right? Uh, we just kind of glimpse him at the tail end of the story. The, uh, the magi uh, are, are pursuing him, and, and this whole story happens, but we just barely meet. It kind of reminds me of the, um, uh, Matt Damon's role in Born Legacy. This whole story is all about him, but he just barely shows up. It's one of that kind of thing, right? And these guys here, Jesus has this very small role in the story. The magi aren't even named. Um, the, the, the only person that has a proper name in this story is Herod, and he is clearly not the key player in this story. He is the bad guy. What's interesting to me in this story is that the main focus, the, 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 the main character, if you will, in this story is not a person at all, but a star. 
And even that, Matthew, the author of this story, not having a specific enough word in his language to describe comet, uh, describes this, this event happening in the, in the heavens, in the night sky. He describes it as, as actually a very simple word, star. You know, the Bible, whatever you think of the Bible, whether you are somebody who looks to the Bible as, as a book of authority, as whether you look at it as a book that is inspired by God and every word is true, whether you look at it that way or not, one thing you cannot ignore is that the Bible is a historical account of God's interaction with people. The first handful of chapters in Genesis describe God interacting with people in a very global way. And then very quickly it moves into God's interaction with one nation, the nation of, of Israel. And so when you read this Bible, when you read this history of God and man, what you notice over and over again is that in the history of God's interaction with man is this reoccurring pattern of darkness. Darkness shows up in the history of mankind as we interact with God. But also, there's another pattern that when man finds himself in darkness, that God interrupts that darkness with light over and over again. And so darkness becomes a, a metaphor, uh, a metaphor for all kinds of obstacles to enjoying uh, the light that is life, Jesus Christ. And here we see it again. This, these, uh, these magi are pursuing they're pursuing this, uh, this light that is life. They're pursuing the Messiah. Uh, but the only time they're getting real clear direction is in the darkness of night when the star appears. Right? The light interrupts the darkness. And we find the, 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 uh, the magi, the wise men, we find them in confusion. And we find ourselves in a darkness that we call confusion sometimes as well. If you've ever been confused about how all of the elements of your life fit together, if you've ever been confused looking at, looking at a particular situation and saying, this is, this is a mess, you might also describe that as uh, a darkness. Right? The creation account begins in darkness. The scripture says that God, when he created the heavens and the earth, that he began with the earth as this watery chaos, and all the stuff of life and death swirling in this, in this ball of swill, this liquid water mess, right? And it was, it was fine because this this ball of swill was shrouded in darkness. It was chaos, confusion, and, uh, and it was hidden in darkness. But day one, the first thing he created, do you remember from Bible school? What did, what did God create on day one? <laughs> yes, thank you. I don't know who that was, but you get an A. Other than that, he said, let there be light 
And so day one, in, in, with all of this watery chaos, this mess, this confusion, the light shines, and all of a sudden, the chaos is exposed for what it is. Uh, formless and void can begin its process from, uh, from a mess to the Sabbath rest that God intended for it. It can begin that because now there is the presence of light shining on it. We are able now to make distinctions about our chaos, about our confusion, about our mess, because we see it in the light of Jesus' presence. We begin to understand what pieces and parts of the mess are worth attending to, what pieces and parts of the mess are necessary to to keep around, what pieces and parts of our mess are are, uh, deserving of our attention and our direction because the light has shone. And in our confusion, the light interrupts that darkness and begins to bring some clarification. Some of you might say, when I experienced a season of darkness, it was when I was lost. Not that I didn't know where I was, but that I didn't know where I was going. What would be the next move for me in this lost state? I found myself having following the Lord to this point, and I don't know what to do next. My next step, I feel lost. I feel like I'm wandering around in darkness. As the creation week continues on, day one he creates light, but it isn't until day four when he creates uh, light-bearing bodies in the heavens, a sun, a moon, the stars. And he says very specifically, these are not just to bear light. I obviously can produce light without these. I did it on day one. But these light bearers in the heavens have a very specific purpose. Their purpose is to to give some direction. The scripture says that they govern, they rule over the day and the night. They give direction. They give us, uh, they help us understand the seasons. They are a sign to mark the seasons a miracle that communicates. And so these bodies in the heavens were an interruption of the darkness of night and space, a light interrupting that darkness, and they were communicating direction. Uh, They were communicating uh, direction regarding the timing. It's winter. Find your snow shovel before it's too late, right? It's summer. Get out there and start planting seeds before it's too late, right? The the stars in the sky gave us direction for the seasons even of our lives. Not only that, but we understand that uh, the constellations themselves, the way those stars are arranged from our perspective here on earth, begin to communicate a story, uh, even a gospel message in the heavens for, for those who were unaware of the God of Israel, they could look to the heavens and see a story being played out in the night sky by these bodies of light, these light-bearing bodies that would communicate. And it was those very constellations that helped communicate to the wise men, something is happening. The king of Judah is about to be born. 
And so they were no longer lost, but their darkness was interrupted by light. Darkness is also a metaphor for evil, which is unfortunately also very much a part of the Christmas story. Herod's not the only evil man that plays a role in the Christmas story. I was telling my wife uh, just this morning, I said, I, I'm going I'm to write a book someday, which, which really doesn't mean anything, but it's just, I just say that. It introduced, this is, I'm about to tell you a brilliant idea. That's how I start that conversation. I'm going to write a book someday about the, the Christmas prequels, the stories that happened long before Christmas that led to this event. And one of the stories... It's actually one of my favorite prequel Christmas stories. It's the story of a man named Balaam who was hired to curse the people of Israel. Balaam was not a God-fearing man. In fact, Balaam was an evil man, a wicked man. Balaam was actually a a shaman, uh, a a witch doctor, a sorcerer, an incantator. Incantator. He did incantations. (laughs) I should have skipped that word altogether. He was evil, is what I'm saying. And the enemies of Israel had hired him to curse the nation of Israel as they were moving into the promised land. And he came along and tried to curse them, but was kept from the Lord, by the Lord, kept from cursing them. This man, I always picture him tall and dressed in all dark clothing. I picture him with a tall hat and a long black beard with scraggly white hairs coming through it, right? He, he had long bony fingers and long fingernails at the end of those fingers. He was a quiet man, but when he spoke, it was loud and harsh with an authority that was terrifying. He reeked of incense and wore a necklace of bone, right? It's a very ominous, terrifying, scary, evil man. And he was hired for cursing people. And this time, in this story, found in Numbers, he was hired to curse the nation of Israel So he got up on a mountain so where he could see the majority of the nation as they moved. And he was about to curse them, but the Spirit of God intervened and said, Balaam, you are not allowed to curse these people. And so, with the man who hired him standing next to him, he tried to curse him. But instead, all that came out of his mouth were blessings on Israel. And the man who, uh, Barak, who, uh, Barak, I gotta be careful how I say that. <laughs> uh, there's no political motivation behind that mispronunciation. Um, he, he said, you, you are blessing my enemy. Let me take you over here and you can curse them and you'll see how great of a threat they are to me. So he takes them to another mountain and he says, okay, maybe from here I can do some sacrifice, do some voodoo and curse them from here. Blessing comes out of his mouth because the power of God is greater than his own authority, greater than his own power to curse. And so finally, one third time, 
he climbs up on a mountain and he says, now I will curse them. And he tries to curse them, but instead a blessing. And it's in this third blessing that we find this line. I love this line. This evil sorcerer in an attempt to curse, in a failed attempt to curse the, uh, the people of God, utters these words, among others. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Isn't that a great Christmas prequel? This evil man with no ability to curse, announces the coming of a star. And out of that darkness, this star will announce the birth of the ruler of Judah. Confusion, lost, evil, darkness. Uh, the Apostle John says in John 1.5, he says, The light shines into the darkness but the darkness has not understood it. Uh, I was thinking this week, at least for us Alaskans that are non-snowbirds, those of us who are staying through the winter, I think we understand darkness. I think we've got that one figured out, right? We are having this experience. We have an intimate understanding of what darkness is. Have you ever, actually, the snow is a relief to me. You know how it is, when you drive in the dark, up here, and there's no snow on the ground. And it feels like the darkness is sucking all, any light out of the atmosphere. Do you know what I'm talking about? And you can't see anything. Uh, so I feel like we, at least, understand the darkness. But John, when he says this, what he's really talking about is, he says that the, this, the light has shone into the darkness. And usually when lightness shines into the darkness, it overcomes it. But the darkness has no mastery over the light. It, 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 just, is, it just understands its experience of darkness. This is Satan's deceptive truth. From, from the garden, he slithers up to Eve and he says, Eve, he says, if you will disobey the Lord, then you will have experiential knowledge of not just good, but also evil. And God is withholding that from you. If you would only disobey him, then you would have what he has, experiential knowledge of evil. And Eve, not realizing what that would cost her and all of her descendants, thought that was a, a trick, that the Lord was keeping that from her and disobeyed. And from that moment on, we all, unfortunately, have this experiential knowledge. We know what it is to be in darkness, confusion, lostness in the presence and oppression of evil. The prophet Isaiah, when he talks about uh, a land of darkness, he talks about people walking in darkness, people dwelling in darkness. It's, uh, it, it is the kind of experience that we often find ourselves overwhelmed by the darkness. 
overwhelmed and demotivated to move beyond it, right? There's a lethargy to darkness. It is a trap. We dwell in it. We don't walk out of it. We walk and maneuver in the darkness. But Isaiah goes on to give greater insight. Isaiah 9.1, he says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm announcing prophetically the coming king. He will be the light who is life. And he will come to a people who dwell in and walk in and wallow in and experience darkness. They will dwell in darkness. They will be confused and lost and oppressed by evil. And I would say if that's you this morning, if you would describe your current experience as one where you are stuck in darkness, uh, I would say maybe, maybe we can look to the Magi, the wise men, and gain some insight for how they maneuvered in their confusion, their lostness, even in the presence of evil. Again, as I mentioned earlier, I love these guys. So, I'm so impressed with these wise men. Another prequel to the Christmas story is the story of how these wise men even became aware that the king of Judah was a thing, right? There's a story that happened many years earlier of a young man named Daniel who was actually a captive. He was uh, an Israelite who was a captive and led into Babylon as a slave. And one night, the king Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and he was tortured by this dream. He himself awoke from the dream in a state of darkness. The dream was so oppressive to him. And he called for wise men, people to come and give him insight as to what that dream meant, and no one could do it. And he was so upset that he was going to kill all of the wise men. And, da and Daniel, one of the wise men, steps up and he says, actually, uh, let me consult the God who reveals mysteries and see if he won't tell me the meaning of your dream. And sure enough, he did. And Daniel was able to accurately interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream and bring some peace to this troubled man, some light into his darkness. And Nebuchadnezzar was so appreciative. The scripture says that then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts where you depend on the Lord enough to be honest with him about your wrestling, right? To depend on him enough to give him an opportunity to send his Holy Spirit to speak to you and to meet you in your darkness. That you would allow him not only to be the author of your faith, but the perfecter of your faith. That you would allow him not to just be uh, uh, your salvation, but your light and your salvation. Exposing the confusion, exposing the chaos with his own commitment to rescuing you even in the midst of that. Rather than paralysis by confusion, take even incomplete pursuits. Go as far as you know to go with the information you have. Rather than dwelling 
at lost, continue the pursuit. Don't just take incomplete pursuits, but be committed to continuing the pursuit, a continuous dependence. The Magi show up. They say, we've followed the star this far. What information can you give me? Herod says, well, let's look to the scriptures. The scriptures, Herod obviously had a, a political motivation for looking to the scripture. He was not necessarily interested in submitting to the scripture, but he knew that there could be some clarity to the situation from the scripture. We could do worse in our lostness than look to the scriptures. But quite honestly, there are passages in the Bible that in our lostness leave us just as confused as when we started. Have you been there? Have you gone to the scripture and said, I need a verse, I need a a God-ordained, inspired concept to lead me from this place of lostness? And I go to the scripture, and here's a verse that says this, and here's a verse that says this, right? The scriptures will give us direction, but the scriptures honestly are not enough sometimes to give us the real clarity for our unique personal situation. Let let me remind you of the scripture that was read in this passage. He says, out of Judah will come a ruler and a shepherd, a person, Jesus, who will speak into your life as a shepherd, the Holy Spirit speaking into your life as a guide, as a counselor, dwelling or or drawing from the truth of the scriptures, but making it personally, boy, I'm wrestling with my vocab today, Uh, or my, uh, you should have prayed for articulation. what was I talking about? Um, personal. Per, well, anyway, the scripture, the Holy Spirit draws from the scripture and helps you make personal application to your situation, right? Rather than dwelling in the lost, I don't know what to do. I guess I'll just stay here, lost, which is at least my tendency. Maybe it's yours as well. I don't know. Rather than that, I will look to the scriptures and I will allow the Holy Spirit to shepherd me. Moving forward. How would your approach to your darkness be different if you thought of it in terms of understanding a person, Jesus, rather than just a concept? And rather than succumbing to evil, the Magi example for us is to be generous in appreciation of God's worth. We are, as the song says, prone to wander. We have a natural disposition. We have a death DNA. It is in us to wander to give in to the oppression of evil. When an evil opportunity is set before us, there is a strong draw towards that. Is there not? Right? Rather than succumbing to the evil, the Magi did not join Herod in his plan. Instead, they followed the next incomplete pursuit, 
right? They continued the pursuit, an act of dependence and faith, and they found the baby. They found this child with his mother in his home in a very simple place, and their response was one of joy and generous appreciation of God's worth. Romans 121 says, speaking of people that have given into, who have succumbed to this evil trajectory, he says that although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. If you've ever been in that place where you feel like your brain is just dead, you feel like you're stuck in darkness, you feel like you're lost for the next direction, you feel like you're confused, you feel like succumbing to the evil, the voices in your head that tell you, go ahead and be bitter, go ahead and keep that resentment, coddle that offense, right? And you hear those voices and you feel like, man, I just want to, I, I just want to stay in the darkness. Paul in Romans says, if that's what you want to do, there is a trajectory for that. If you want to bust out of that, if you sense your foolish heart being darkened, and you're ready to move on and allow this beam of light to interrupt your darkness. If that's you, the best thing you can do, your next step is to honor him as God and to give thanks to him. Right? And maybe, maybe you've experienced that. In your darkness, you begin this discipline of saying, God, I'm so lost. I'm so confused, but I know that I will gain insight if I turn my attention and my affection towards you. And so, I love you, and you're good to me, and you gave me this. And you also did this for me, and you withheld this from me, but you also have brought me this. And you didn't have to. And you're worthy of worship. And pretty soon, for reals, there is a climbing out of the darkness. The light of God's presence interrupts your darkness. Brings some clarity instead of confusion. Brings some, some direction, although incomplete. Direction for your lostness. And brings some victory over your evil. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward. The Magi give us this great example. It says, I've found Jesus. I pursued him. I didn't know what I was doing half the time, but finally I found him. In darkness, light interrupted that darkness and led me right to the one that we came to worship. And here we are. Gifts. Praise. Worship. We celebrated finding Jesus, the light who is life.
You know, uh, one of the things I love about this story is where they found Jesus. Not in the palace, but at home. You know, there's a glory for those of you who are able to find Jesus at home. There's a glory for those of you that are able to find Jesus in the boring old, right? In the simple, common, everyday, just Jesus, his presence. He has hidden himself everywhere. Tune your attention and your affection towards finding him even in the darkness and it will become your glory. Would you stand with me? Jesus, here we are. We've brought ourselves to this place this morning like we do every week. We've come again and again because it is a discipline that is our glory. It is a discipline that helps us remember and hear truth and life, even in the darkness of our ongoing experience. And so, Lord, this morning, by your Holy Spirit, cause us to be, uh, to be so wearied by our darkness that we are ready for a change. Cause us this morning to be so ready to have an interruption of light into our darkness that we will do the work of turning our attention towards you. And Father, I pray that you would be faithful to reveal yourself in our homes, in our routine, in creation. Help us out. Help us to see you. And Lord, even before we leave this room in these next few minutes, Jesus, we want to see you. We want to be reminded of your great worth, of your clarity, of your direction, of your victory. Pray for your faithfulness in this as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing and worship the Lord, but it might be this morning that you find Jesus in uh, participating in communion, remembering his broken body, his shed blood. It may be that you, those, those tables are around the room. It may be that you see a glimpse of his glory as you give. Just offering receptacles around the room. It may be this morning that you are ready to experience a piece of his victory by praying with somebody. There's a group of people over here by the wall that would be glad to pray with you. Be uh, with you in the darkness, anticipating an interruption of light. So let's worship. That there will always be an experience of darkness. It also tells us that there will always be an interruption to that darkness. There will be a light that is life, that has a presence with us in that experience of darkness. And so may we be a people who uh, turn our attention and affection to that light and, and find ways to rediscover again the goodness of God in those experiences. Amen. I just want to remind you quickly before I cut you loose that the, uh, there is no senior high tonight, but there is the junior high Christmas party. I also want to remind you of the, uh, the junior high.
junior high winter retreat coming up. You can do what you want with that. And then also, of course, we actually don't officially end for another 30 minutes. If you're able to hang out and help us tear down, we would really appreciate that. Otherwise, we will see you next week. You're dismissed. Enjoy your week.